So Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this word because it is good and it is right and it is the best. So Lord, would you help us to understand what you have for us here today? And we will give you the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's a bit of a brutal passage, isn't it? <laughs> How did I end up with that one? Hopefully I'll make a little sense uh, for you of it. Uh, I was on a short-term mission trip to Cambodia about four weeks ago, and uh, the last night we were there, we decided to go out for ice cream. Now, uh, I'd been eating things that uh, I don't eat unless I'm in Cambodia, stuff that belongs in my aquarium or in the backyard, but not on my plate. So I was really looking forward to ice cream. Well, there were three of us that got in line at this particular store, and there were just a few minutes left before closing. The guy in front of us had just got his ice cream, so he stepped up the counter in order to order, and uh, the cashier turned and walked away. And then another employee, he pulled the top off the ice cream machine, lifted out the container that had all that ice cream in it, and then he dumped it in the sink. With two minutes to go before closing, I mean, there we were, uh, and they decided that the guy in front of us was going to be the last one that they served. So they closed. Here we are standing in line, and all that ice cream is washing down the sink. Are there any ice cream lovers in here? Can you feel my pain? I mean, that ice cream should have been in my bowl, not in the sink. It just wasn't fair. It wasn't fair at all. Well, we all have a sense of what is fair and what is not fair, don't we? I mean, my kids through the years have been particularly good at pointing out what is fair and what isn't fair. When one of them got a bigger piece of cake or had to go to bed earlier or had more chores to do around the house, well, they'd cry out, that's not fair. A few months ago, my wife and I were talking about my son's curfew, and one of my daughters overheard what was going on. They're older, and they said, hey, I didn't get to stay up that late when I was his age. Everybody now with me, that's not fair. Well, there is a lot about our world that is unfair, unjust, and broken, people, places, situations that need rescue. Does God care when bad people do bad things? And what is God's plan for injustice anyway? Now the context of the passage that Terry read is uh, the reign of King Ahab. The scene is Jezreel where Ahab tries to expand the grounds of the royal palace so he offers to buy or trade Naboth for his vineyard. But Naboth doesn't do it. According to Jewish law, pieces of property like the one Naboth owned were to stay in the family. So Ahab, as uh, Terry well put, has this grown-up hissy fit and does what every king in the known world at that time did. He, he refuses to eat anything until his wife comes to see what is wrong with the Lahabi. And then he tells her the terrible news that Naboth won't sell him his vineyard anymore. And so she takes things into her own hands and then writes the elders and nobles who are in Jezreel and asks them to conspire against Naboth. There are only two eager to co cooperate with that request, and Naboth is dragged outside the city limits and stoned to death. Now, injustice always involves the abuse of power, taking from others the good things God intended for them, their life, their liberty, their freedom, their dignity, the uh, labor, the, the fruit of their labor. Poverty and domestic violence, children and adults in forced labor situations who in some cases make the clothes we wear or pick the coffee beans that go into our lattes. 
Injustice is the worst disease in the world today because it's a disease of the human spirit. Justice, then, is the right ordering of power, and it's about making things right in the world. Now, one of the most disappointing parts of this particular passage is that nobody does anything. I mean, nobody warns Naboth about what's going on. Nobody stands up for his character. Nobody says, you know, those accusations, they are lies. Naboth would never say those things. No one does anything. Now, it's been said that all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good women and good men to do nothing. And that's what happens in this passage. God has a plan to deal with injustice. And in several places of the Bible, God makes his plan very clear. Isaiah 1.17 says, Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. So what exactly is God's plan for dealing with injustice? Well, we are God's plan for dealing with injustice, you and me. The problem with that, though, is me, because I am way more concerned about whether I'm getting my share of the ice cream than I am about what is unfair for other people. Now, one morning last week, I got up early and I went for this walk. I had a lot on my mind and I just needed some time alone with God to sort of sort things out. And as I was walking, I passed a homeless guy that was sitting on the grass. And he was reading a book, but he was holding it so close, close to his face, it was like only three inches from his face or less. And I remember thinking, wow, that, that guy needs some reading glasses. But it was just a small thought among many and I just kept walking. Then I remembered that I had this pair of reading glasses in my pocket. As I, you know, they were there with me. But I didn't want to give up those reading glasses. They were my best reading glasses. And besides, that guy had more problems than just my reading glasses, more problems than I could do anything with, so I just kept walking. But I just kept feeling like I needed to go back and talk with that guy. Well, by this time, I'd, I'd stopped walking, and I must have looked like a crazy person to anybody who was watching me because I'd stopped, and I turned around, and I took some steps toward the guy, and I stopped, and I turned around, I started walking the other way. I stopped, and I turned, I walked. I mean, it was like that. And finally, I decided, i, I got to be willing to give up my reading glasses and give them to this guy. So I went back to talk with him. Now, the book that he was reading was by Tim Allen, and he told me that there were a few spots in the book that just really made him laugh. They were really funny parts. And we talked about the book. We talked about his family, what it was like growing up. He told me about his father and what it was like to work for his father while his father was still alive. At one point, I, as we were talking, I took out my reading glasses and offered to let him have them. You know, maybe, maybe he could use them to help him read the book better. But you know what? He turned me down. Now, I didn't expect that. You know, I thought I was going to be the big rescuer and give him my reading glasses. But he turned me down. And we talked for a while longer. And when I left, you know, the things that were troubling me that I'd gone out for that walk about, they weren't bothering me anymore. That's what he did for me. Now, I'm not sure what I did for him. I'd like to believe that he felt cared for and he felt like he wasn't invisible to the world in those moments. But, you know, I think sometimes doing justice is like that. You know, reaching out to the poor and the uh, marginalized, we don't have to do anything. We just have to care. And that's how we become part of God's plan for dealing with injustice. Now, returning to the passage, it looks as if Ahab wins. I mean, he gets what he wants, and Naboth loses. He loses everything. 
And if the story ends here with Ahab repossessing Naboth's vineyard, well, then justice is just a naive wish. And the only way to get what we want is to overpower the Naboth of this world. And God, apparently, all God does is simply observe everything that is going on. But this isn't the end of the story because God sees what happens. And so he sends Elijah to tell Ahab that justice is coming. And in language that is very descriptive and pretty brutal, Elijah predicts the civil war that would overthrow King Ahab and his family and bring a new king and a new government. 2 Kings 9 and 10 describe how God fulfilled this prophecy using Jehu to restore justice once again in Israel. Now the Bible is literally filled with hundreds of passages that tell us that one of the main things God is about in this world is teaming up, linking hands with the powerless. He takes up the cause of the poor and the oppressed. The good news in the Bible is that God is passionate about justice and caring about the things God cares about. Well, that helps us to get closer to God and it sets us free from our constant preoccupation with ourselves, with what we need and what we want. It pushes us into this place of desperate dependency on God to show up, to help us help others and to make things right. We are God's plan for injustice. And dealing with injustice means we will experience more of God's power and more of his life in us. Now, when my wife Kristen was in her last year of college, she, um, she was a director of this campus-wide ministry that connected students with organizations in our community that did things like working with the homeless or uh, counseling women who were in crisis pregnancy. And part of her job meant writing proposals uh, and presenting them to the, to the student council uh, that asked for extra money that she needed to run this particular program. But the council kept turning down her requests. Well, she also worked as a waitress in a local restaurant that was by the campus. And one night, a group of students who were on the council walked in, ordered a bunch of cocktails and some really expensive food. Then when the bill came, they paid for it using two Associated Students University American Express cards to pay for it. They, my wife couldn't believe it because they were using the money that was supposed to be for student programs like the one she was running and they were spending it on themselves instead. So she submitted an editorial to the school newspaper which described what the group ordered, how much it cost. She included the two names of the individuals who were on those credit cards and question what else they were using our student funds to buy. Well, her last line was the best, referencing the American Express credit card commercials. I don't know if any of you saw those. Those were pretty popular. She wrote to the people who used the credit cards, do us a favor, and next time, leave home without it. <laughs> well, she didn't know if the school paper would print that editorial or not, but not only did they print the editorial, they drew a cartoon and placed it in the center section of the school paper to call attention to my wife's article. And uh, at the top, it says, Hi, do you know me? I thought not, but thanks to AS Funds, I can eat and drink at your expense. And at the bottom, it reads, The AS credit card. Don't leave home without it. Well, that afternoon, my wife got a phone call from the vice president of the university wanting a meeting. One credit card apparently belonged to the student body president. Another credit card apparently belonged to a faculty member who was liaison to the uh, council. 
Now, that faculty member immediately denied any wrongdoing, submitted an article that was published in the paper, sort of rebutting the whole thing. And she threatened to press charges against my wife. Then my wife got a letter from an attorney uh, that was representing uh, the student body president. Well, that's one way to increase your prayer life, right? So she and I just started urgently praying for God to show up, to reveal the truth, and to protect her against any false accusations. Because, like, this is her senior year, and she kind of wants to make sure she can graduate. Well, we asked our family and friends for their prayer support, too. Well, a few days later, the paper printed another article from a former roommate of the previous year's student body president. And in that article, that guy mentioned that he had joined other council members on several occasions while they picked through the trash of a grocery store, a local grocery store, searching for receipts that they could use to justify university credit card expenses. Well, this led to an investigation and a university-wide audit that sort of escalated this experience way beyond anything my wife could have imagined. Some people got fired, a student got expelled, and after a three-year investigation, the chancellor and his wife were convicted of embezzling $100,000 for home improvements. Now, how about that for an adventure? <laughs> that was a time of desperately needing God to show up and to reveal His truth. It would have been a lot easier, way easier for my wife to just ignore what she had seen, to not say anything, to just do nothing. But because my wife did something, a lot of stuff got made right. And we both got to feel God's life and His power flowing in us. You know, the older I get, the older we get, the more we tend to choose safety and security over adventure. We become afraid of taking the risks that are associated with dealing with injustice. We default to what if and become more concerned about what might happen, like I might lose my reading glasses, than actually trusting God and depending on Him to show up and to help. We are God's plan for dealing with injustice. And when we take the risk, get involved in making things right, we experience more of God's life and more of God's power in us. Well, the last thing about dealing with injustice is it gives us a greater love for others and it helps us to see them as God sees them. You know, when, the, when God created human beings, the scriptures tell us that God made us in his image. Now, that doesn't mean uh, that we physically look like God. What it means is things like uh, the fact that we've been given authority over this earth and its resources. The Bible calls that stewardship. It means that we have the capacity to love and to reason like our Heavenly Father. But it also means that every one of us, every human life, is sacred and has dignity, and has infinite value. So seeing people as God sees them means seeing them in God's image. And that gives us greater respect and deeper compassion for the people we see, for every human life, because everyone has been made in the image of our Heavenly Father. Now, Mark Laberton, who's the former pastor of uh, First Presbyterian Church Berkeley, tells the story of an 80-year-old woman who uh, was in his congregation at that time. Her name was Doris, and Doris made some oatmeal muffins that she brought to the church one morning, had them in her car, parked the car out in front of the church, got out, walked around the side to get the muffins out. But before she could do that, some young man came in behind her, 
pushed her back into the car, slammed the door, ran around to the other side, and sped off. Well, the first thing Doris wanted to know as she was in the car with him is what this young man's name was. He said, Jesse. She said, uh, well, Jesse, what are you doing? He said, I'm kidnapping you to take you to the ATM to take money out of your account. Well, why are you doing that? Because, he said, he needed to buy drugs. He was a drug addict and really needed a hit. Well, she said, that is really a bad thing, Jesse. God has a much better plan for your life than being a drug addict. Well, they arrived at the first ATM, and Jesse forced Doris to give him her a passcode. He jumped out, withdrew some money, got back in the car, sped off again. Well, as they uh, went to the next ATM, Doris told him that he really needed God, that God loved him more than he could even imagine, and that God accepted him, knew what was going on, understood him deeply. Well, uh, after the next ATM stopped, Doris told him that what Jesse needed was a really effective drug rehab program, not money out of her ATM. So uh, by the third time they came to the third ATM, Jesse had withdrawn the full limit on Doris's account. So he told her that uh, he was going to leave. So uh, surprisingly, he got out, escorted her from the passenger side, kind of helped her slide behind the steering wheel, and uh, said goodbye. But uh, before she left, she said to Jesse that she was going to pray for him because she, uh, she was going to pray that, God, that he would get caught because what he was doing was wrong. But also she was going to pray that uh, she could come and testify and tell the judge that Jesse really needed help and to go to a really good drug rehab program. Because what upset Doris more than anything, more than being kidnapped, more than being robbed, more than any of that, was the fact that this young man's life had been hijacked by drugs. Well, a few months later, Doris got a call from the police department. They wanted her to come down and identify this man. Apparently, Jesse had been caught. So soon after that, she was sitting in a witness stand testifying against Jesse. And then she appealed to the judge. She said, Judge, Jesse needs a good rehab program. He's guilty. He's done all these things. But, Judge, he needs your help to get his life back. Pretty amazing. Now, Mark doesn't say what happened to Jesse, but what he does say is that Doris was God's plan for dealing with injustice in those moments. Courageously and honestly dealing with Jesse, Doris experienced God's power and God's life flowing through her. And she loved Jesse without hesitation because she saw him as God sees him not as some drug addict who was hijacking her, kidnapping her, and uh, stealing money out of her account. So where, uh, where is there injustice around you? And how might God be asking you to deal with it? Maybe that means talking with somebody who's part of the justice ministry of this church. They're out in the lobby today. Would love to talk with you about next steps for you. Or maybe that means thinking about where your skills and passions intersect with the needs of the vulnerable, whether you're a health care worker, an attorney, a, uh, an advisor, a financial advisor, social worker, educator, therapist. Get involved in doing something at a personal level. You know, there's a twist in this story, Naboth's Vineyard, that happens right at the end. We didn't read that today. Right after Elijah tells King Ahab that God's just judgment is coming, King Ahab repents. He apparently becomes really sorry for the things that he has done. 
So God relents and offers grace instead of judgment. King Ahab escapes that disaster Elijah prophesied about. Ahab eventually actually dies before that prophecy is fulfilled. His family ends up being overthrown, but Ahab dies before that. And I guess that makes me a little bit angry because I want Ahab to get what's coming to him. I want him to experience the full force of judgment. But God's good news has two sides to it. On the one side, God is the just judge. And every one of us will one day have to stand before God to give an account of our lives. Payday is coming someday for everyone. But on the other side, God is the lover of our souls. And he will do anything to save us. So he sent Jesus to pay the price for all the wrong things we have done in our lives and serve the sentence that justice requires. Jesus gave his life for us on the cross. And any time, even when, anywhere, when the most immoral, sinful human being reaches out in desperation, repents of their actions, and asks Jesus to be the forgiver of their sins and the leader of their lives, well, then God immediately lifts the sentence of justice and offers grace instead. And as much, as much as I hate to see that offered to Ahab, I am eternally grateful for that offer because that is the offer that has rescued me and it is the offer that rescues you too. We do not get what we deserve. Instead, God gives us what we do not deserve. Forgiveness, freedom from guilt, everlasting life, God's life in us. That offer from God is for everyone you and I will lay eyes on. And the deeper God's love gets in us, the more we will care about God's injustice in the world, or not about injustice around us. Getting involved in justice not only means making it right for the powerless, it means we will get made right too. More of God's passion, more of God's life in us, more of God's power. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for your more in us, that you would pour your life in us and give us the courage to pony up and, Lord, take on the injustices around us. Father, help us to see them. Give us faith to trust in you in the midst of them. And we pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen.